If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we'll be reading verses 1 through 21. Ephesians 5, 1 through 24. 1. If you would give ear to the reading of God's word. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, and the fear of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Great are you, O God, and most worthy of praise. There is no way we can ever fathom all of your greatness. That is why we need your word to remember all of your mighty acts. Grant unto us this morning the ability to hear your word, your truth. Give us the grace to take that truth and make it a part of our lives. We thank you, O Lord, for all of your grace and mercy. Help us to ascribe to you all glory. In Christ's name, amen. As we read the Bible, we come to the realization that it shows God knows our efforts to obey his commands. We also find that in, in, in doing this, the things that please him, such as the effort we put into uh, being patient, the effort we put into standing firm, is really pleasing to God. We also see that he is very pleased when we don't give in or tolerate or excuse wicked people. Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the fruitful works, unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. God calls us to study his word. What does the study of his word bring us to? 
2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Studying gives us the ability to discern truth from error. It also allows us to spot those false prophets that could lead us astray. God tells us this very clearly in Ephesians 5, verses 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. As a child of God, and as one who has been his for some time, you understand our Heavenly Father sees and knows all things. In my heart, that makes the praise and compliments God gives a source of hope. He gives that praise and those compliments just before. He lays out all my faults and those issues that displease him in my life. The main thing that displeases God is when he sees his children's love diminish. You come to him overcome with love for his salvation of your soul. But over time, we tend to lose some of that enthusiasm and grow cold. We take for granted our salvation. And that is a really, really bad thing to do. That displeases God more than anything. God created man, placed him in a perfect paradise. He gave him everything he needed to have fellowship with God every day. Adam fell in the garden. He turned his back on God. He lost his communion with God and even his desire to serve and to be with God. However, he did not escape the responsibilities that he was given at creation. He was to take a wife and multiply. He was to labor and subdue the earth. He was to worship God. Because of the fall and the perversion of his heart, man no longer desired to do things God's way, but wanted to do it all his own way. Yet, God never removed the creation mandates, so God is still holding him responsible to carry out his commands. Even today, all men, both regenerate and unregenerate, are under the requirements of the creation mandates. God, therefore, tells us that there are things that please him in our lives, and there are things that displease him. This morning, we want to look at those traits and deeds that delight God, and those traits and de deeds that displease him. Hopefully this will help you as you, you evaluate your heart and your life and will give you some direction in changing the course of your life. Who? Who in his right mind would not want the sovereign creator God to be delighted in their life? Each one of us should be eager to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant because those are the words that you will hear as you enter heaven. So let's see those things that delight God. We know there are only two types of life to be lived in this world. You either live a righteous life, or you live an unrighteous life. Paul shows this in Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Proverbs 3, verses 31 through 32. Do not envy the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. 
We're told here that we should not envy the violent man. Who is this violent man? This is the self-centered man, the man that treats others as though they have no worth. He's the bully, the tyrant, the wife beater. He's the angry man, always in a rage. We are warned to stay clear of his ways. This is not the man we're called to emulate. To follow his ways is to blindly stumble down the path of destruction. Who are we to emulate then? Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Not only are we not to follow the self-centered man, but we must not envy him. What in the world could a man like this that have that we would want to envy? Often, we mistake this type of man as a man of power, a man who has everything before him, who knows what he's doing. The self-centered man seeks power. And when he gets it, he uses it to its fullest to get what he wants, to do what he wants. The love of power is the very thing that got Adam in trouble in the garden. The love of power is the deadliest passion known to man. Men that are enslaved by their own wills enjoy the brutish pleasure of tyranny. He tells you in Proverbs 11.20, the Lord detests a perverse heart. All that have this perverse heart are those that have rebelled against God. According to Psalm 5.5, God hates the wicked. He hates uh, and pours out his wrath against those who rebel against him. Proverbs 3.32 tells us God takes the upright into his confidence. We also saw in Proverbs 11.20, he delights in those whose ways are blameless. How can a man be blameless before holy God? That's the question, isn't it? How are we going to do it? There's only one way. He must trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. He must have acknowledged himself to be a sinner lost and without hope. He must have seen Christ and understood the sacrifice of Calvary's cross. That the blood Christ shed on that cross was for the forgiveness of sins. He must have with his heart believed in Jesus Christ and with his mouth called on Jesus' name. Then by God's sovereign grace and by his sovereign grace alone, he would have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and could come before the Father in the righteousness of Christ and would have been declared blameless for Christ's sake. Having come to know all of these things, he would come to see, as Proverbs 21.3 says, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The right and just thing for men to do, the thing that is more acceptable to God than sacrifice, is to trust in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you place your whole trust in him, that's a question you need to answer for yourself. You must, if you want to be counted blameless before a holy God, you must do this. You must put your hope and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Don't delay. Don't delay for it has been made clear. God is pleased only by those men who do totally trust in his only begotten son. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We are Christians 
we're Christians and we call Christians because we believe and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. We all live by thoughts and words. They make up our very existence. Both those that are pure and those that are impure. Paul declares in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The writer of Proverbs speaks about this in Proverbs 15, 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. This clearly tells us God is concerned. He's concerned with the thoughts of man. Too many times we fail to to consider that even our thoughts come with a responsibility. We were created in the image of God. Do you understand what that means? Do you really get what that means? The greatest, the most amazing part of that image is the ability to think. When God created man, he gave him the privilege, the privilege of self-contained thought. What such a privilege comes with responsibility? Paul tells us upon what we should think in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is exactly how God created Adam to think. He gave Adam the responsibility of good and pure thoughts. He provided Adam a nature that was perfect in righteousness, knowledge, and holiness. However, because of Adam's bad choice, because of his sin, Adam lost the ability to continue with pure thoughts. So God, seeing man's heart and his evil thoughts, sent Jesus Christ to live the perfect life and die the atoning death. He shed his blood so that once again the children of God could have pure thoughts. You can see in this that God detests the thoughts of the evil heart and loves the thoughts of the pure heart. How is it that you can have a pure heart? You can have it only when God gives it through Jesus Christ. The writer of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. God delights in men who tell the truth. How is it that a man can tell the truth? He must first have a new heart. For in Genesis 6, 5, we're told that natural man with his old heart has a continuing flow of evil imaginations from his heart. In other words, he's always telling lies even to himself. Do you live up to this standard of truth in your life? I don't. Nor do I believe I ever will in this lifetime. My only hope before a holy God is Jesus Christ. Christ came and took on flesh and blood, living out a holy and perfect life. He died sacrificing his perfect life because I'm not able to complete the task I was given. The only hope I have, the only hope of entering heaven is to totally trust in the works of Jesus Christ. And because of my love for him, 
to live this life as honestly in both thought and deed as he empowers me to do. So we looked at your life and your thoughts. Let's turn to your relationship with God. What does God accept for worship? Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. It doesn't matter what wicked men bring before God. It's detested because of the condition of their heart. On the other hand, whatever the man with a new heart brings before God in the name of Jesus Christ will be pleasing. That doesn't mean God will do whatever you ask him regardless. It means that those who come before him trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone please him. If you want to please God, then you need to acknowledge you are a sinner without hope and you need to call on the name of Jesus Christ. Call believing. Believing that God has sent him to save you from your sins. He will hear all the call in complete trust and he will save them. Salvation is the first act of true worship. You ever thought about that? Your salvation is the first act of your worship. When you call out for salvation in Jesus' name, you can be sure that will be pleasing to God. Proverbs 21, 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? This speaks to the person who comes to church just because he, he, he wants to cover all his bases. He decides to come. He decides to walk the aisle just in case all of this stuff about Jesus is true. He's not doing it because he believes, but to try and make sure he can con his way into heaven. The Lord hates this type of, of religion. These are the hypocrites and the brood of vipers Christ called out the Pharisees about. True salvation requires a heart change, not a mental change, not an emotional change, not a personality change, a change of heart. It is true these other changes will occur because of the heart change. But understand this, without the heart change, none of these other changes mean anything. You nor anyone else can con God. You may be the best con artist in the world, but at heaven's gate, your abilities will be absolutely useless. God knows the hearts of men. He knows your very thoughts. And his word, according to Hebrews, is sharper than any double-edged sword and is able to divide between your thoughts and your deeds. You're known and the displeasure of God rests squarely upon all that refuse to call on the name of Jesus Christ with a humble heart. Here, it's made very clear that all who refuse to hear God's word cannot even expect God to hear their prayers. Proverbs 28.9 One who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. We are told in Deuteronomy 12.32 Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. Now here, Moses is instructing the Israelites in worship to come before God in worship. How, how do we have to come? 
We come as he directs us. Only as he directs us. Paul tells us in Colossians 2.23 that even the worship constructed from the imaginations of men has an appearance of wisdom. It is self-imposed and therefore it is worthless before God. What you do in private and public worship must be only what God has prescribed. And to take away any part of it or to add anything to it makes your worship detestable in God's eyes. The question is, how do we live our lives out before such a holy God? Proverbs 11.1 1, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. He tells you in your business dealings with others, be honest. Do whatever it takes to avoid the appearance of evil. Proverbs 16.11 Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in his bag are his worth. This shows us that to be honest comes from the Lord. Only men who have a new heart can be honest. That's not to say that even those of us that have a new heart are always as honest as we need to be. The measure of all weights is in the hands of the Lord. What you need to take away from this is that Jesus Christ came to be the true weight for this world. He's the true standard of honesty and the only standard that holds fast. You live your life checking yourself against him. You're going to find constant correction and you're also going to find the pleasing smile of God upon you. Isn't that wonderful? God just wants you doing what's right. Proverbs 20.10 Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 20.23 Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest scales are not good. Weights are standards that constantly change or detestable to God. The only unchanging weight or standard of this world is Jesus Christ. There is no other way to come into heaven than through Jesus Christ. He's it. What are you thinking about? What are you comparing it with? Turn to Jesus Christ. Place your hope and trust in him and in him alone. Only if your life is being lived in accord with him can you please God. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Does that not show you it's in Christ and Christ alone? You can't have peace without Christ. You can't have salvation without Christ. You must place your hope and trust in him. He is given to you as that sweet-smelling aroma. We also come to see there are some traits, some deeds that are displeasing to God. Psalm 5.4 For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Paul assures the validity of this in Ephesians 5.5 For this you know, that no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's important that you understand it's not simply a matter of believing in Jesus. Yes, that's the most important thing we must do. But you can't just say, I believe in Jesus and think I have a guaranteed ticket into heaven. 
There's some things that must and will happen in the lives of those that are truly that truly believe and truly trust in Christ. There will be some immediate changes. Your desire to know and understand God's word will increase. Now, don't compare yourself to other people when you're doing this. What's happening in your life? Not, don't worry about what's happening in somebody else's life. They may be smarter than you. They may be better equipped than you for some things. You look at yourself. Are you growing in your desire to know God's word? It's going to increase if you truly love Jesus Christ. Your knowledge of your own sinfulness will grow as well as the understanding of God's wonderful grace. As these things happen in your heart, there's some external things that will have to be dealt with. God tells us there are five areas in the lives of his children that need to be improved. The old sinful nature produces rebellion against God. But with a new heart, with a new heart, you can strive to remove those things from your life that displease God. The first of these things is pride. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. To most men, this idea of a proud spirit is something to be sought after. We are taught to be proud of our accomplishments, proud of our nation, proud of our schools, proud of our family. Men see no sin in this. And it's true that we are to have a certain type of pride. However, when that pride takes the form that looks to who we are, to what we have done without recognition of God, we have sinned. That type of pride holds the heart back from God. It lifts itself up against God. It, contend, it contends for supremacy with God. What is important to understand is that when this type of pride strikes at God, God will strike back. Peter makes this clear in 1 Peter 5, 5. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is one of the greatest sins. Here, lowly man, a creature that is utterly dependent, so sinful and guilty, full of fear, yet proud of heart. A child of a fallen parent who dares to dream of being equal to God, making himself more and more a disciple of Satan with his false sense of pride. There are many ways in which this ugly monster of the fallen nature can raise its head. Some are proud of their intellect, some of their beauty, some of their talent, some of the wealth or station of life or maybe their goodness. They forget anything they have is a gift from God. They are come forgetting that they, as 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast if you had not received it? All of these people placing their trust in everything but God are unaware that they are, because of their pride, an abomination before the Lord. God hates such pride. And all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ must see that their salvation, as well as everything else they possess, is a gift from a gracious God. Humble yourselves before him. Give thanks and praise that he might not be displeased 
with you. The second of these sinful things that displease God is injustice and false accusations. Proverbs 17, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord. God is always displeased when we take advantage of those less fortunate than we are. The reason for that is very simple. Man was created in God's image. And even though he has fallen, marred, the image is still present. It's still there. Whoever does something wrong to his fellow man is doing something wrong to God in whose image man was made. So what we see is that to oppress the poor is to oppress God. To make false accusations against a fellow man is to make false accusations against God. These are indeed abominations against the holy God that has created mankind. We are commanded to treat others as we ourselves want to be treated. I want God's grace and mercy in my life. So, I must extend mercy and grace to others. Think about how you would want God to deal with you about your sin and do the same with those who sin against you. Whether it is one you have the opportunity to take advantage of or one who is taking advantage of you, treat them just as you want Christ to treat you and you will avoid this abomination and you will not know the displeasure of God. Sexual immorality is the third thing that displeases God. Proverbs 22, 14. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. There's no greater pull on men or women than that of fulfilling the works of the flesh. If it is not fought against, it can become a terrible plague that destroys lives. God created man and woman to be together. He intended that man should take one woman and the two should become one. To violate this principle of the creation mandate is, to as Paul says, sin against your own body. I think today, homosexuality and transgender issues, that's made very clear. It's an abomination against the holy God to ignore the created purposes of the body. He tells us with no uncertainty that it will be a great temptation to all men. He also tells us that those who refuse to hear his call to purity and upon whom he pours out his wrath will indeed fall into this sin. We hear more and more about some men who claim to be ministers of God falling into this sin. Nothing could be more devastating to the church and the ministry. It's a terrible sin. It's very, very destructive. We must pray for those who fall here and for their churches. This is a sin that shows God's wrath on those who hate him. It's so, it's, it is clearly a great displeasing sin before God. Our fourth thing that displeases God is taking joy over another's troubles. Proverbs 24, verses 17 through 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord sees it. And it displeases him, and he turns away his wrath from him. Now, this is a really hard thing for the human heart to avoid. 
Nothing pleases us so much as to see our enemy suffer. I had a friend, I was in college, that went off to an Auburn football game. and He came back and told me all about it. I don't remember who we're playing. The thing I remember was that he said the announcer very late in the game gave the score of the Alabama game. And the people in the stands started cheering wildly because Alabama had lost. What was so funny about it was that at the same time, the other team was scoring the winning touchdown against Auburn. But these folks were cheering like crazy at Alabama's loss. And it looked like they were cheering their own defeat. And in essence, they were. God says he'll have none of this. You don't love your enemy's failures. Your enemy was created in God's image. And you should never gloat over his defeat, for that is displeasing to God. You should instead weep for him and pray God would save him. The last thing that displeases God is wrong attitudes and evil actions and lies. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, even seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. This is a very hard area for all of us, too. Sinful man conceives of God in his heart as being just like him. He thinks God looks on his sin with nothing but disdain, or indifference, I'm sorry, while he is sure God views the sins of others as being heinous, hideous sins. We're so good at seeing the ends we want to reach, and then we justify those ends as godly and good. So we set out to achieve our godly ends without any concern for the means. We don't want to think about what God hates, what displeases him. We just want our way. Our responsibility before God in dealing with our fellow man is very clearly laid out in Scripture. We are not to look at ourselves as being better than others, but we are to esteem others as better than ourselves. We're to be truthful in our dealings with others. We're to follow God's directives in dealing with all men always seeking to do good and not to harm others. Honesty is to be the hallmark of our lives and we're to bring peace and not discord. You must always be checking the motives of your heart against God's word. God hates those that want to do things their own way. The man that rebels against the authority over them is an evil person and is displeasing to God. God's wrath is upon them. They are displeasing to God and destined to hell for eternity. There is but one escape from the wrath of God, and that is to fall upon your face and repent. To acknowledge your sinful heart and call out to Jesus Christ for help. That's what is pleasing to God. All attempts to elevate oneself are sinful and displeasing to God. Please, Don't put off calling on Jesus' name, for there is no other way 
to be saved than placing your hope and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Please open your ears to hear, your heart to believe, and you will find that pleasing the sovereign creator God is a wonderful way to find peace and comfort in your heart. Let's close with Paul's admonition from Ephesians 5. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart by the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, this morning, with many things on our heart and mind, none greater than what's happening in our nation today. We see what's happening in Afghanistan and how terrible it is. We see that we are not upholding what we should as a nation. We're falling, and we know that fall comes because we have rebelled against you. We have turned our hearts against you. We would ask, Father, this morning that you would send a revival to this land, that you would begin it right here with us this morning, that people would begin to recognize, Father, the only hope they have is in Jesus Christ. The only hope we have for our nation is standing up and being witnesses for you. Guide us and direct us in that, Father. We think of these families that have lost loved ones and we just ask that you would minister to each one of them. We feel their pain. We know, Father, that they are suffering greatly. And we just ask that you would pour out your grace upon them, that you would use this as a time to open hearts, Father, within that family, that they would come to recognize they need to place their hope and their trust in Christ and in Christ alone. We just ask you, Father, to keep all those that are still there safe. Watch over them. Minister to them. And, Father... Work in the heart of our president. Work in the heart of those that are in our government to open their heart to recognize, Father, that they need to stand strong. They need to send out protection for our people. They need to do what is right in themselves. We just praise you and glorify you now that you would take our prayer and that you would cause it to spread across this land and touch the hearts of many. For it is in Christ's name we ask. Amen.